you know, as Christians, we have to understand and, and be real with where we are. That's what we have to see first, individually. And what where our mindset is and what we desire. Airing the Addisons. I think what God is really calling us back to, it's those individual personal revivals in our own lives where we're like, oh Lord, what have we done? We have minimized you. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. As the church, man, we should be on the forefront of making disciples, of indoctrination in godly things. If we don't train our kids, they will not be able to stand. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Erin Addison's. On American Family Radio, thank you so much for listening. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And Sweet Victory and Jay Macro on tap to help us navigate the show. Today's topic is uh, people are not puppies. True. People are not puppies. True. Seems sort of like it should be an uncontested fact. Should be. Um, But I I, kind of want to start there and then work our way back. And I want to say this. I I recognize that the, the kind of conversation that I'm attempting to have today is not a popular one, especially among Christians, because there there's a lot of conversation to be had around it, but there's also a lot of emotion around it that I think has, um, oh man, has been cloaked in sort of like benevolence, uh, goodwill, mm-hmm. um, right thinking. And whenever you can have those kind of prolonged conversations yeah. where you don't have a dissenting view or you don't have someone to say, hey, but what about this? Um, then I think the people who speak the longest and say the most just they feel right. You know, Mm -hmm. they feel like Mm -hmm. they're right or it feels like um, other people shouldn't be able to say anything. So I want to say this. I don't have any experience with um, infertility. Mm -hmm. I don't have any um, medical background in the fertility industry or anything like that. Um, But as with other moral issues of the day, I don't believe I have to to speak with clarity on a biblical definition of morality, Mm -hmm. um, what is right, what is wrong. I don't believe that I have to be formally drug addicted to um, advise against being mastered by anything. I believe there's a biblical basis for that. I don't believe that I have to have a testimony of having been sexually promiscuous to talk about the ills and the woes of uh, sexual immorality or fornication. I think the Bible provides enough parameter (laughs) for that and enough uh, firm footing Mm -hmm. for that. Um, And the same is true of, um, of the fertility market, if if you would refer to it that way, um, I don't believe that I have to have had an emotion attached to it to ask questions about what increasingly is one of those things where I think Christians are kind of between a rock and a hard place mm-hmm. where we want to talk about some things that are going on, but we almost kind of like can't really say anything because we have, you know, maybe a cousin who's had um, some uh, IVF or maybe we've got, you know, a, a, a brother who they they um, adopted um, uh, uh, an embryo or something. And so there's a lot of emotion that is connected to it that I think people are unwilling to ask questions about uh, fertility treatments that run amok, right? Mm, where where you yeah. create something in culture that is now almost sort of like a it's a normalized mm-hmm. type of practice. But mm-hmm. just because it's normal doesn't mean that it's all of a sudden moral. Right. Mm-hmm. Like because it's mm-hmm. it's pervasive, because it happens a lot. Um, maybe, you know, 
I, I don't know if you would use the word ubiquity, but because it's everywhere, people mm -hmm. start to think, oh, well, that's just okay. Um, I read this article and or, or this this post, and I was so so bothered by this and just asking, you know, just this is what I do, right? I, I read what's going on in culture and then I ask questions of what I read. Um, I, I ask the Lord like to, you know, man, <laughs> how are we to see these things? Like, how are we to process these things? And can the Christians, um, can we as faithful Christians provide a thoughtful response to what we see happening in culture and take the arrows. Look, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm willing to take, as I do, we, we've had a show before where we talked about IVF and where I made some comments that I stand by, by the way. Um, and I'm willing to take the email responses. I'm willing to have people type to me in all caps, which I did, <laughs> um, basically yelling throughout the entire email and being very upset because this is a hot button topic, especially among Christians who are like, but we are pro-life, okay? Mm -hmm. We are pro-life. And this, I'm not seeking to challenge that position. I am simply seeking to ask a question that I think we may have forgotten, some of us, in our desire to champion life. Um, I, I think that there's some other things that may be worth exploring that we're not willing to explore. Yeah. Uh, because w what happens if, if, is if we don't have these conversations, then we have other people who enter the discussion doing really radical things like what we're going to discuss today. And, but then we can't say anything because mm -hmm. we don't talk about the other things. Right. So it's like, well, how are you going to condemn that? Because I mean, well, you implant multiple babies and then selectively get rid of the ones you think are not viable. Like, so how are you going to talk about that? Like you can't, how, how, how is that moral? Maybe I did this and you don't like that, but how are you doing? And I think those are the places where the enemy really wants to gain some ground. You know, Christians, are not able to talk about things because, you know, you condemning this, do you do that? You know what I'm saying? Like, do <laughs> yeah. you do that? And, yeah. and I think that is what the Lord would spare us of, which is yeah. in part, in part, one of the reasons why we are invited to walk in holiness, not the sole reason, obviously, but in part, we avoid doing the things that the Lord condemns so that we can join him in condemning it. We can say, no, these things are wrong. We agree with God that these things are wrong. Mm -hmm. Listen, even if it puts us in a bad light, even if it puts us at a disadvantage, we were recently having a conversation about this where we talk about, um, Will the Great and I are talking about health. I'm just going to be very vulnerable here, talking about health and physical fitness and over the years with, you know, and I'm not blaming my kids, although they deserve it, having many, <laughs> <laughs> having as many kids as we as we've had, um, I've all, often lamented like, oh, man, I just want a more disciplined life. I want more routine, you know, in the area of physical fitness and feeling like this is a representation of the Lord, like the way we carry our bodies, the way we care for our bodies, if everything is to be done for the glory of God. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I think is is so true that, you know, we could be talking about living for the glory of God. We could be talking about what's morally right and what's morally wrong. And we can have these big glaring blind spots that we like, yeah. but don't look at that. You right, know what I mean? Like, right. don't look at my brother kind of a thing. And so, um, so, so what we have to do is prayerfully try to move away from those things, asking mm -hmm. the Lord to uh, strengthen us by the power of his spirit, to mm -hmm. walk in discipline, not only to be found saying the things that are comfortable and convenient, but saying the things that maybe are uncomfortable and maybe inconvenient, you know? Yeah. Um, and why are we doing that? Well, we're doing that for the glory of God. We're, we're doing that so that God can go public through us. Uh, so, so having said all of that, let me just get into um, some of the content here. 
And look, I recognize it's not easy. And again, Addison's at AFR.net. Send, send us your emails. I know mm-hmm. you're going to want to respond to this. And that's totally fine. I, I hope I hope that you will. Right. Um, so here is a story out of California. And this, this story is just so disturbing to me in so many ways. Um, but it's it's a post that is written by a woman named Jennifer Lowell, Jennifer, Jennifer Lowell. And she's the founder and president um, of the Center for Bioethics and Culture. She's also a nurse. Um, so she's worked um, for a long time in the hospital industry and in the medical field. Um, but this is what she wrote. And I, I'm just going to take my time with this. The break may grab us, but we'll come back on the other side of the break and pick up with it. <clears throat> Excuse me, if we don't get to all of it, because it's worth it. Okay, so so here we go. This is Jennifer Lol. It's hard for me to say Lol right after Jennifer. I can say Jennifer, <laughs> but it's just there are certain combinations that just are difficult for me. Okay, Jennifer Lol. All right, so here we go. <laughs> this is what she wrote, and this is a June twenty seventh uh, entry. Okay, June twenty seventh. Recently, I had a young woman reach out to me on Facebook via direct message. Her message began with, quote, I have a super urgent question. I knew immediately it was either an egg donation or sur- surrogacy gone bad problem. Okay. The woman went on to describe a current situation in her family involving her niece, a young married mother with four young children doing her second surrogacy. During her first surrogacy, she delivered twins. And since it was without any noticeable problems, she decided to do another surrogacy. Her aunt communicated to me that her niece is very kind, caring, and loves to help people. However, this surrogate pregnancy had taken a dramatic turn for the worse because during her second trimester, she was diagnosed with aggressive metastatic breast cancer. Mm. The problem facing her niece, she explained, was if she consented to treatment directed at her cancer, she would be required to terminate the pregnancy because the cancer therapy would be harmful to the developing 24-week fetus. Mm. Okay, that's very important. 24-week fetus. We're going to come back to that. Unwilling to abort the baby, the surrogate mother and her family were left trying to find a hospital where she would be allowed to deliver the baby early in order to allow her to begin her cancer treatment. They knew that at this stage in the pregnancy, the baby might not survive, but that with support from the hospital staff, the baby could possibly survive. The surrogate was faced with a decision most pregnant women hope they never have to face, saving one life at the risk of losing another. To make matters worse, the two intended fathers, you heard me right, the two intended fathers, so what you're looking at is a homosexual couple Mm -hmm. that has rented out the womb of this woman. So Mm -hmm. two men. Now, let me explain something. I am am aware that um, maybe for many of us, our traditional understanding of surrogacy is that you have a husband and a wife, maybe the wife is incapable of carrying a child to term. Maybe there have been some miscarriages. There have been some problems. And the husband and wife uh, fertilize an egg and then have that egg implanted into another woman's womb um, that she would hopefully carry that child to term. But the child 
remains the the husband and the wife's child, okay, but being carried by another woman. That's I think how many of us traditionally think of surrogacy. Mm-hmm. Um, in this particular case, it is obvious that that's not what happened because uh-huh. two men cannot procreate. Right. So there is an additional question I have of this particular piece, which I actually hope to answer by having Jennifer on with us as a guest in the coming weeks. Um, but there's a another question that I have that is, so are we now calling it surrogacy for homosexuals that not only is the woman's womb rented out, but now her eggs are, are mm. harvested? Like, I don't understand how this, that's, I, I have a question about this and I don't know the answer to that. But I, I do have that question outstanding because you've got two men who want a surrogate. OK, so but where did the egg come from? Mm-hmm. Where did the egg come from? And I, I think that's a legitimate question because be, obviously, because <laughs> if we're redefining surrogacy, wow. but still calling it surrogacy. Wow. Right. I, I have a problem with that. Like I'm, I'm trying to understand when that definition took a shift and maybe it has always been that way. I just wasn't mm. aware. Maybe I just wasn't aware. So um, back to this article. Okay. To make matters worse, the two intended fathers wanted her to abort the baby Mm. because they didn't want a baby who would be born prematurely and who may have serious medical needs. Pause for just a second. (laughs) It's like, (sighs) it's like going to pick up a puppy from the breeders. Mm. Well, we want, we want, that one. What's wrong with that one? Is that one's leg a little bit shorter? What's wrong with what's wrong with that one? What's wrong with his eye? What's why is his ear clipped? We want the perfect puppy. <laughs> so this is what happens when we get into children are for us. Right? They're not they're not a gift that God gives that the Lord opens the womb. The Lord closes the womb. By the way, people look at that and they say, "Well, that's biblical language." Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and? Yeah, sure. <laughs> okay. Right. Stop me when we should stop using it, because the Lord God who authored the language is still sovereign over what the manifestation of it is. Amen. And I know that that's hard to hear. But guys, I'm telling you, this is so when we walk down this road and we we tell people, yeah, you can design a baby just like you design a puppy, the Labradoodle, (laughs) like you can design a design a baby, design a puppy. But if in your design there is a flaw, then then, you know, like the puppy, you can discard it. Or like the purse, choose not to purchase it. This is where we go, right? All right, so we got to grab this break. We'll pick up right here on the other side of the break. Aaron the Addison's American Family Radio. Please stay right there. Her people. That's why we pray, baby. But I also know God. God can fix them all. When I ride through my city, Lord, my heart hurt. Cause I know today one of them young boys out there probably end up in the hurt. By the time I finish this, welcome back to Ernie Addison's on American Family Radio. I'm Miki. And I'm Will, and that's Fizzle with Greater City. Today's conversation, people are not puppies. People are not puppies. They are not to be designed because we desire them right um (laughs) as if they are a property to be to be owned they are people made in the image of god 
And because of that, they have intrinsic worth and value that um, shouldn't have to be qualified or stipulated. Mm. You know, it's Mm -hmm. because God said, because God said, and because we are made in his image. Mm. Uh, Before we went to the break, I was talking about this this account out of uh, California where you've got a surrogate, a surrogate uh, mom who develops um, an aggressive form of breast cancer. And in order to undergo her breast cancer treatment, she would have to, she would like to deliver the baby that she's carrying for, by the way, to, well, she's carrying, unless she has done this new, like, you know, three person baby thing that they have out there now um, that they are experimenting with the DNA of three people. Um, she presumably has supplied the egg for one of the homosexual men who would be the father of this baby. And I mean, this, this is, I'm trying to make it's, sense of yeah, it. It's, it's so much um, confusion. You know, and you, right. It's just wrapped up in, you know, a ball of confusion. And you think about the, the, um, the lady, she's, pro-life she, she you know she yes. wants oh my to goodness have, completely. that's why she's yes. even doing this she's yes you know but then you have on the other side they're like no go ahead and kill totally <laughs> totally self-interested wow totally um this is my puppy and this is not what i wanted this is not what i wanted this is not what we paid for mm. and let me let me continue with the story so i'll back up a little bit for those who are just joining us um So the surrogate was faced with a decision most pregnant women hope they never have to face, saving one life at the risk of losing another. To make matters worse, the two intended fathers, as this article, as this piece refers to them, wanted her to abort the baby because they didn't want a baby who would be born prematurely and who may have serious medical needs. The fathers, as this article refers to them, I think it's important in our minds to put quotes there because there is just really one father legitimately, I mean, unless there's something else that this article leaves out, some other details that this article leaves out. Okay. Their fathers, please lean in on this, okay? They refused to entertain the idea of allowing the baby, if delivered alive, to be adopted by the surrogate or anyone else. Wow. So they're just like... Don't that is a, that is a, to exist. That's, that is a brand of wickedness man. that is difficult to express with words. Wow. Okay. That is that is a brand of wickedness. I am not even going to attempt to try to humanize that response and say, "Well, you could cut." No, you get none of that here. <laughs> right. None. Right. None. That is a that is that is a brand of bitter wickedness that I cannot even begin to express when you would say. No, we want you to abort the baby. No, we don't want the baby born alive. Mm. And we don't want you to adopt the baby or anyone else. That, that, that is a bitter wickedness wow. that is difficult to verbalize. The father stated, back to this piece here. The father stated, they didn't want their DNA out there. Being raised by someone else. Now, I again, I really have a conflict with they and them and there. Like right. this last time I ch- last time I checked, <laughs> it's one egg and a sperm. Okay, that makes it right. 
maybe two. You got twins. Okay, but but like it's a male and a female. Last last time I checked. Now I'm aware that you've got the you know the 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 new attempts to engineer a person by using the DNA of three different people. But I don't I don't think in this case that's what happened here. I don't understand why these two homosexual men are referring to this baby as their DNA. I don't that I don't understand unless there's something that is missing that I don't understand. Yeah. And I'm open to that. Holla at your girl. I'm open to that. <laughs> Let me know what I don't know. Um, that makes no sense to me. Even now, here here we go. So they don't want the DNA out there being raised by someone. They don't want their DNA. Okay, they don't okay. Um, back to the, the piece here. Even one of the surrogate's doctors said they knew someone willing to adopt the baby, but the fathers just wanted a death certificate. Wow. Man, that's, that's okay. Wickedness. So I mean, even that's one of the surrogates, it. it's, 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 it, yeah. man, it, yeah. Yeah. Even one of the surrogates doctors said they knew someone willing to adopt the baby, but the fathers just wanted a death certificate for the child and asked that no life-saving measures be performed on the baby if he was born alive. It's unclear why the fathers requested a death certificate, but maybe it was to render the surrogacy contract null and void since the pregnancy didn't end with them receiving the baby. Surrogates are, surrogates are often paid their compensation throughout the duration of the pregnancy with the final payment made at the surrendering of the child and relinquishing their maternal rights if applicable by state law. I'm going to continue here. In the next few days that followed from when this woman made initial contact with me, this family found a lawyer who was of no use. They reached out to Child Protective Services and were told that with a request for this type of immediate intervention, law enforcement would have to intervene. They contacted their local sheriff's department who were sympathetic but said this was up to the hospital and they knew of no law that would allow them to intervene. In their desperation to get help for this otherwise healthy fetus, they were told that CPS didn't see this as infanticide. If the baby were born alive, but no one would try to help the premature inf infant survive. This, they were told this is not infanticide. They can't, we, we, can't, we can't do anything here. Eventually, the surrogate mother was able to find a hospital who would induce labor and deliver the baby vaginally. The baby was born in the early hours of the morning and died soon after. Now, what's important about that, I'm going to pause for just a second here, and then I want to go back to Jennifer Lull's commentary on this. But what's important here is you go back to the gestational age of the baby in utero, 24 weeks, 24 weeks. Now, of course, I don't know the medical condition of this dear child. I don't know. I can tell you this, though, and I'll go back to the age of this baby. I can tell you this, that this baby, this boy, sounds like, um, had value and worth. Yeah. And was deserving of dignity and not just to be treated as some sort of designer puppy that it just didn't work out. Okay. And I, I grieve that we live in a country that that's just normal. Like we just, you know, like. It's a contractual agreement that, you know, I've, I've hired you to lend me your womb. And so then you just do what I say. I have the legal rights over the, the thing, excuse me, but just for emphasis here, the thing that I hired you to do for me. 
So so if you don't do that, you I mean, you please do not feel any maternal connection to this. So you, so you got to suspend that God given maternal connection to the tr- the child that grows in utero. You got to suspend that. Right. No, you you I want to deliver this baby so that I can start my cancer treatments. I want this baby to be saved. I want this baby to be spared. But then you got the thugs who can hire the womb and say, no, we don't. We don't because we hired you to deliver a perfect baby. And if that baby is born prematurely, you run the risk of the baby being imperfect. And that does not comport with our idea of what it is for us to be happily together raising a child. It's a child we can design, you know, much like puppies today. But you go back to the gestational age of this child, 24 weeks. Again, I don't know the health of the child. Um, But here's what I do know. I know that at 24 weeks, the child was within the range of what is called periviability. So it's borderline viability, but there are measures that can be taken to to save this child's life. Mm. Between the ages of 22 weeks and 26 weeks gestation, this is where life-saving measures can be implemented to save the life of a child born prematurely. So at 24 weeks, what I think, what I bring to this conversation is the real possibility that this baby boy could have been fought for. Mm. But the sickening reality is that because it was a contractual agreement entered into by the surrogate mother and the two homosexual men, the men actually get say over what happens to the baby. So the mother, if the surrogate has no rights over the child, the surrogate cannot say, do everything within your power to save my, their, mm, that baby. Cause, cause how do we, how do we see that now? How do we, how do we think about that? But this is, this is sort of like the spaghetti that we try to follow when we do all of these things and we, and we normalize these things. So we don't even talk about it anymore. You've got celebrities who just, they just don't want to, I just don't, I don't want my body to go through that. So I will rent a womb. I just don't want to have to deal with that. Like, ugh, why would you carry a child when you can rent a womb? Because what we often go to in the conversation, we go to the desperate need. We say, well, but what about there are women with uh, reproductive issues? Yes, absolutely there are. There are women who have issues with their wombs that they, they, the wombs are hostile to carrying a child. Yes, absolutely there are. But there are also women who just, I don't want to be fat. Right. I don't want my body to stretch out like that. <laughs> I got a career. Oh, I can't slow down to be pregnant. Mm. Or you got two men who are like, you know, we can't reproduce right together another indication and, yeah that <laughs> so so what we can do though because we have means is we can rent a womb and so even to that point this whole situation and i know we're focusing in on you know on, on an aspect of it but this whole situation of an agreement between this lady and this homosexual you know that that can even be done where this baby would have been in a dysfunctional home you know and it's and it's all like business exactly that's exactly exactly i mean but again you know 
you got to be able to you got to be able to at least talk about that yeah. you know and and now those are just things you can't talk about you you can't say that a child needs a mother and a father right because everybody that's, wants to come like in the with co- their right yeah <laughs> we used to aren't you don't that's you remember that don't yes you, i remember once that upon a time once I'm upon like, a time man. where children needed a mother and a father like you know for the best possible outcome um now we can't say that because that is phobic well, we can as right? christians we better we say better it. we we better right I mean, because the thing is we didn't make it up it's not contrived by us it is us simply agreeing with god's standards saying like lord yeah you're right i agree with you i agree with you and i'm going to trust that you know what's best i'm going to trust that you are all-knowing and all-powerful and i hate to say it in this way but that you get to call the shots yeah you get to call the shots right. lord like right. that's, i mean come on you know what I mean? And, and I, I know we can we can find more <laughs> spiritual words to describe that. Right. But at a very basic level, when we're dealing with our own rebellion, our mm-hmm. own sin is that we want to call the shots. Right. We want to be the boss. That's what we're dealing with. And at a very and, basic man, level. And even in this discussion, and I know this is a very touchy discussion, but at the core of a lot of this is I have a right to have. That's I, even in the you know, it, when there is the right. You know, husband, wife. It's it's like I have a right to have man. a child. So and this is what I want. Yeah, this is what I want. So I'm gonna do. Man, it's just it's it's amazing when you consider like just at the core of it is a lot of selfishness and a lot of just. Ah, and look, and, and, and I'm gonna that's... tell you, I don't want people to think that I am obviously. And we we've, we've done shows where we've talked about this. Yeah, I understand that there are humane ways. Um, to benefit from the medical advancements that have been made in IVF. I understand that. I understand that there are parents who are doing it the humane way. We know them. We know them. So this is not, I am not condemning that. What I am saying is that, man, as Christians, we want to always fall down on the side of God's word, even when it puts us on display, right? Like, and when I say puts us on display, kind of shines a light on our own need, our own deficiency. We want to say, man, yeah, I missed it here. Yeah, I've got some some unwholesome desires here. Like, okay, that I got to examine myself there because God's word is true. Everybody else is a liar, right? <laughs> but but what God says is true. I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with Him. This is difficult to do. I want to say this. I, go back to this article. But before I do that, I was just kind of curious. So as I was reading this piece, um, I was curious about the youngest baby um, born prematurely to survive. And I, I wanted to know what was the gestational age. I was I was astounded to find out that that happened in 2020. Um, I knew that there were some really young babies born that had survived, but the youngest one to be born and survive uh, was born in 2020. And uh, interestingly enough, made it into the Guinness Book of World Records mm. because of being so young and surviving. So in July, July 5th of 2020, a woman named Michelle Butler went into labor at 21 weeks and one day gestation. She was pregnant with twins. Mm. There was a 1% chance that the twins would survive. And actually it was a boy and a girl. And the little girl actually did not survive. But the little boy did survive. Mm. 275 days in the hospital, all sorts of measures taken 
to preserve this baby's life as he fought. The doctors themselves said this baby wanted to live. Mm. And at 16 months, he made it into the Guinness Book of World Records. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. So I throw up my hands and praise you again and again. Cause all that I have is a hallelujah, hallelujah. And I know it's not much, but I've nothing else fit for a king. Except for a heart singing hallelujah. Just listening to this song, I, I just think, man, my 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 desire is to live a life that is my hallelujah, Amen. right? Like it's it's, I mean, yes, we want to sing hallelujah and we want to be grateful, we want to be thankful for what the Lord has done in sending His only Son. That man, belief in Him means that we don't have to perish, that we can be set free from our sin, that we, man, we <laughs> we don't have to be condemned, right? I want to be I want to be grateful for that, but I I want to live that gratefulness. I want to live that Thanksgiving, right? I want my life to be an offering, which means that I want to have difficult conversations where people are free to speak into my life and to say, and to hold me up against God's word and to say, well, do you have righteous desires? Is that, is that, is that holy? Like, you know, can, can we support that in scripture? Do we have a standard by which we get to the things that we desire? Like we have to have this conversation because I'm afraid I'm afraid that uh, in some ways Christians may have pro-life Christians may have painted themselves into a corner on this discussion and forced ourselves to not be able to have the conversation. Like we can't, we can't say what is right and what is wrong according to God's standard, what is humane, what is inhumane. And, and, and that concerns me. It concerns me that there are things that we would say, well, you know, <clears throat> keep the velvet rope up on that conversation. Don't, don't go over on the other side of the rope. I, I think <laughs> that's a problem right. when you've got a, a, a baby boy that is at 24 weeks gestation and that is delivered vaginally. And the, <laughs> excuse the expression, but this is how it's defined in California. The owners of that baby, <laughs> the owners of that baby um, get to determine whether or not that baby lives or dies. Gets, they get to determine whether or not that baby is fought for mm. at 24 weeks gestation. Um, I think it's tragic. And, and I think it is something that, um, you know, God is not looking away from that. That That's not just because we're America and, and we have technology and, and people have desires and, you know, Man, that's that's not something that the Lord is um, is turning away from. Back to the story out of uh, Alabama of the the baby born that was the most premature baby to ever survive. Mm -hmm. um, this baby was born at 21 weeks. Wow. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, obviously like that was that was not a given in this little boy's life. This was this was not a given. In fact, he was a twin and his sister did not make it right. The difference is, though, between the 21-week-old babies and the 24-week-old baby is desire. 
It's we we are going to fight for these children. And that's what they did in Alabama. That's what they did for these children. I want to share a little bit of this article. So I was reading this and I thought, man, this is just absolutely fascinating to me because the 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 difference in outcomes, mm-hmm. possibly the difference in outcomes. <laughs> and I almost feel strongly enough to say probably the differences in states, anyway. the difference in states, for sure, for sure. But also, I would I would say desire. Like yeah, the yeah. the does this child deserve to live? Yeah. That's you know. But if the man, how disconnected can you be if the if the parents themselves, right? And oh, excuse me for saying it that way, right? <laughs> but have no regard for the child, because in this case, they serve more as the owners of the thing they wanted than the parents that God envisioned when he instituted the family, right? The, the, I mean, for, this is wrong in so many ways. So many ways. It's, in so many ways. Like, oh my God. Like, come on. You know, we could just, it's wrong in so many ways. But then you have in, in Alabama, and there's some interesting information out of this, this article here I want to share with you. So you have Dr. Brian Sims, who's a professor of pediatrics, in the University of Alabama, Birmingham, uh, Division of Neonatology. And he was the attending physician when the mom, Michelle Butler, went into labor on July 5th, 2020. And this is what he said, quote, numbers show that babies born so young have little to no chance of survival. We typically advise for compassionate care in situations of such extremely preterm births. This allows the parents to hold their babies and cherish what little time they may have together. Sims, Dr. Sims told Butler, that's the mom, that the care team would take their lead from the babies, see how they respond and let them tell the team what path to take. The (laughs) twins had a less than 1% chance of survival. So this regional NICU team jumped into action. Nurses started post-birth care and respiratory therapists quickly hooked them up to ventilators and oxygen, all hoping to increase the baby's chances of survival. As I mentioned before, the sister, the twin girl, um, showed signs that she was too premature. And so she died a day later. But the brother, whose name is Curtis, showed signs of improvement. His heart rate and oxygen levels increased with resuscitation and additional oxygen. He was fighting for life. By the way, this article I've taken from the University of Alabama's website. So this is not written by like LifeSite News. Okay? <laughs> this is just this is just the information presented there. Yeah. When Dr. Colm Travers, assistant professor in the Division of Neonatology arrived at the UAB RNICU, the next morning he was astounded to see Curtis alive and responding well to treatment. Dr. Travers researches periviable infants, those born at the limits of viability, and could not recall knowing of an infant surviving at a younger gestational age than Curtis. Mm-hmm. Quote, when taking care of severely premature babies, you have to take it step by step and day by day, said Dr. Travers, who is co-director of what they call the Golden Week program. And this program combines evidence-based medicine and best practices to increase a premature baby's survival chances during their first week of life. The program has resulted in a marked reduction in mortality. And what's, and what's, what's like, what's the driving force behind that? Like, well, we want the babies to live. We want the babies to, I mean, it, 
I know that sounds like overly simplistic, but it seems like to me the basic starting point is we want the babies to live. Like, isn't right. that the basic starting point <laughs> right. for all medical like responses? Like, isn't that <laughs> well, that's kind of like hope. we want, <laughs> we desire. Yeah. This baby born at 21 weeks received round the clock care over the next nine months. Speech therapists worked with him to help him start using his mouth to learn to eat. Respiratory therapists supported his breathing through various efforts as he came off the breathing machine. Nurses provided daily care, from checking vitals to soothing him to sleep, to supporting Butler as she learned to take care of this baby. Mm. Quote, there were days when we were unsure that he would, he would survive. This is Sumita Gray, one of the nurses that was on Curtis's team. He was the youngest baby anyone had worked with. But look at what she says. But we are a level four regional NICU. And we knew we had the resources and the expertise to support Curtis and his mom. Here is the, we were determined to see him go home. Mm. <laughs> right. So 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 what we're talking about when you've got, you know, people who the, you've got the just make them comfortable group. Mm-hmm. Right. Is a lack of desire. It's a lack of desire. Then you've got the we're determined to see him go home group. We're the ones that we're going to, hey, if you're, if you're fighting, we're going to fight too. We're going to fight too. Right. We're going to help you live. Why? Because your life has value, your life has worth, and you're not a designer puppy. Now, after 275 days, this baby was released from the hospital to go home. And then six months after that, um, they returned to the hospital, Curtis and his mom, where they received a certificate from the Guinness Book of World Records um, that he is the youngest surviving baby, like, in the world. <laughs> 20, 21 weeks. Wow. So, so you can see how when I say I have some questions about the 24-week-old baby born in a California hospital. I mean, you know, right? Because right. California, you know, mm. that's where people can go and design a whole new face. I mean, they can, they can, they can give <laughs> right. you a whole new face, like, right. And, but, but, but a baby born at 24 weeks, ah, we just yeah, couldn't just make them comfortable. So it comes down to a question of desire, right? But it also comes down to something that I think is a bigger conversation that we feel hesitant to have. It comes down to normalcy. Because mm. if in our culture today, it's mm. just normal to, to rent a womb and the person who rented the womb has the right of claim over the contents mm. of the womb. And if it's all just stuff and things, if it's just, you know, people to be owned like puppies, right? Then, right. then we don't know how to feel about this story. <laughs> and I feel like in a, in a way we do our movement a disservice by not acknowledging that, man, you know what? You just because you want a baby doesn't mean you get to have one. Like, and, and by any means necessary, like, what are you, Malcolm X's? Like, what are y'all, what are, I mean, what's, what's going on? Like, we'll do whatever it takes. Why can't we have a conversation about that where we say, man, you know, we need to really seek the Lord. And, and it, may, it may cost us more, maybe financially and emotionally, to pursue a route that is not as quick or easy, quote unquote. Maybe we want to do this a little, a little more humanely. And, and, and maybe we want to take our time. And, and there are, as we've had this conversation, go back and listen to the archives. There are ways for this to be accomplished. But I think we, we don't get anywhere by refusing to have the conversation. Yeah. We don't, we don't get anywhere by saying, ah, I just don't want to talk about that. You know, it's like, 
Like, we don't want to talk about divorce because, well, I come from a divorced family and why are y'all so hard on single moms? Like, no, we're just saying that God has a standard. Right. That God has a standard. Right. The, the foundation, the building blocks for all of existence was one man, one woman raising their children. And immediately after sin and rebellion enters the picture, you see the effects of that. You see murder. You see the taking of multiple wives. Oh, okay. Well, let's move on from there. All of these things that become man's design, man's idea, man's man's attempt to create for himself what he thinks is best. And I I am concerned that there are some things that on the surface of the conversation are good. And so we just stop there. We say, well, I don't really want to drill down and wrestle. I don't really want to drill down and wrestle. Back to the Center for Bioethics and Culture, reading her piece. The physician in this case has two patients talking about the mom who was at 24 weeks gestation with an aggressive form of breast cancer, needing, I would presume, chemotherapy, wanting to deliver this baby so that the baby might survive, but also she could also live and, and receive the treatments that she needed. The physician in this case has two patients. First is the pregnant woman and second is the baby she is carrying. When we see competing interests in medical care between the mother and the baby being directed by the purchasing parents and not the physician. Guys, look, that's a problem. That's a problem, right? That even the, the best course of action can't even be determined by the medical community. It can't be determined even by the I mean, do you even call her a mother? Like, what do you, what, I don't know, I don't know how you would say that legally speaking, because what you're talking about is like, you know, the hotel room. Because it's just, I just hired you to hold the baby. Yeah. And so how do you suspend that? So, so you've got, but you've got the heart of a mother at every stage of this, I would presume, I, you know, and look, I don't know her. And and I don't know her either, but I'm just listening to this story. You know, I know I said in the beginning, like, she must have had been pro-life. But I don't know that because it seems like this is business. So I'm, I don't know. So I don't want to say either way. It seems more and more like this was just a, a business thing. Certainly would, on the part of the two men masquerading as So a did family. she still get paid? I don't know that. See, that's what I'm I don't saying. Know, I don't know that. Based on, on that information, which we don't know. Which that would go to that would go to explain why there would be the request for a death certificate. Maybe that would render the transaction. Listen to how coldly we have to talk about this. That would render the transaction null and void. And so maybe whatever the um, the the those who rented the womb, whatever they paid hmm. ongoingly. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess they that's just over. Or, um, yeah. You know. And then who knows what happens after that? Who knows if whether or not they, they don't sue her for what they previously paid because she induced labor and, and, and decided to go ahead. I mean, who knows? I don't know what the contractual agreements right. are the thing. That's when the people, thing. you know. But that makes a difference to me about the motivation of all parties. And, yeah. and we don't know that. So, yeah. Yeah. One other thing. The mother wanted to try. This is back to uh, Jennifer Law's piece. The mother wanted to try and deliver early in hopes of saving the baby and being allowed to start her cancer treatment in hopes of saving her life. But California law recognizes the contracting intended parents and surrogacy arrangements Mm. as the legal parents. They alone 
can make decisions around the care of the baby. In wow. this case, refusing care, refusing mm. care. I don't know. Look, we have to we have to be able to wrestle with that and say, man, you know, I just there's a problem there. And all the yeah. medical advancements <laughs> that we've enjoyed, there's a problem. There's there. a problem. Yeah. We're out of time until tomorrow. Lord willing. God bless.